What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, a podcast. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a podcast. And uh, yeah, this this right here, this is a, this is a podcast where we podcast. This is Whitney, our, why uh, did you explain the podcast? Okay, no problem. Uh, this is our uh, podcast that was inspired by, of all things, uh, the time we were locked down, and we didn't we had a lot of extra time on our hands, and uh, we decided to sort of explore all of the streaming services that were available to us at the time. Uh, William and I don't have perfect film educations. We haven't seen everything, so we wanted to go back and catch up on some of the old classics. So we're going through on this podcast, streaming service by streaming service, uh, selecting a film that either one or both of us hasn't seen, and watching it and talking about it as a means of educating ourselves, catching up, and sharing with you. And this is entirely interactive uh, over at our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash critically claimed network. Where every episode of Critically Reclaimed, our patrons get to decide what we're going to review. Uh, we pick a streaming service. We pick usually a theme or a genre or a filmmaker. And uh, we pick four films. Our Patreon uh, subscribers pick one of those films. And uh, this time we decided to focus on the queer film offerings over at the Criterion channel, of which there is actually no shortage. There's a lot of interesting stuff over there. Mm-hmm. And the winner was a documentary, a very important documentary, that I had never seen. Whitney, had you ever actually had a chance to sit down and watch this? Uh, no. Oh, cool. So we get to both this, yeah, discover this was, for the very first time. Yeah, yeah th- this, was a, this was a big hole in, in my queer education, um, just because I've heard so much about it since it came out in 1990. Um, I understand that this was this movie was a bit of a flashpoint for uh, what is now just a really common subgenre on cable TV, and that's uh, the drag show. And it all kind of sprung from this uh, kind of you might call it an underground movement uh, in New York uh, back in the '80s, and uh, a lot of the. Uh, lingo that we use uh, in association with drag, a lot of uh, queer slang first was brought into the public eye by this film and it was I, I feel like I'm like my education is a little bit more complete now I've like linked up a lot of different pieces now finally having seen it William, what film is it? Yes, it is Paris is burning you have space to do all that you intend to this movie is about the ball circuit. A competition amongst gay people under one roof. It's like crossing into the looking glass. How their families, kids with broken homes, or no home at all. My name is Angie Extravaganza, and I am the mother of the House of Extravaganza. I'm Willie Ninja, the mother of the House of Ninja. Ninjas hit hard, they hit fast. We come out to assassinate. I am Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the House of LaBeja, and I've been around for two decades. So, okay, so uh, Paris is Burning is a documentary by Jenny Livingston, which, as Whitney said, uh, focuses on the drag scene in New York City uh, in the late 1980s. Uh, drag did not start in the 1980s. Uh, drag had been going on as a th- basically as a vi- uh, theatrical tradition for as long as we've had theater. 
but the modern version of a drag show uh, has become uh, indelibly linked with the queer community and has become uh, a very potent art form in and of itself mm. with a lot of really incredible personalities and performers attached to it. And although Paris is Burning obviously did not invent anything, it brought a lot of the drag scene to light, uh, which has, over time, become very commonplace and led to TV shows like RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and a lot, as you mentioned, a lot of lingo that we use today very casually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm totally with you on this. Having seen this documentary, I'm like, oh my god, I understand so much now. Not just about like the, the drag scene, which is so much more, which is so much more opened up for me, uh, but also just about I, when you see this movie, its influence is unmistakable on so many things that followed. Some obvious, some not. Yeah, well, um, and a lot of uh, like slang that we just sort of use casually in everyday conversation came out of this. It's not just the stuff linked to like RuPaul's Drag Race and all the rest. I'm actually unfamiliar with uh, all of those uh, drag uh, game shows that you find on cable TV now. I don't I don't watch any of those shows. Uh, Dragula is one I've been meaning to catch up on. But uh, <laughs> the notion of the drag show as we see it uh, today is it's sort of like uh, it plays like a fashion competition. You make outfits, you sort of follow mm. themes, you design makeup, uh, and then you have sort of like a walk down a runway like it's a fashion show. And well, that's one that's one key way of doing yeah. it. And I want to make it abundantly clear here: uh, neither Whitney nor I. I know people who do drag, mm. but I am I do not do drag. Uh, I uh, I am not I am not an expert in drag, and I'm not going to pretend to be. Uh, a, so we're going to go a lot off of what we've seen in the documentary and what we may know, but it mm. is incomplete. Well, but, and if anyone wants to write in and 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 share their thoughts that they have more expertise than us. We'll invite you to right now. We'll do it at the end of the episode as well. Right. Uh, but our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, so feel free to do so. Uh, but um, but my, my closest yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, sort of relationship, I, I guess, and this is kind of where uh, my experience comes in, uh, Rocky Horror is born out of this scene as well. Now, mm. the Rocky Horror Picture Show came out in 1975, and the cults really kind of started coming together I think around the time these kinds of, uh, they're called, like, uh, walk shows. Um, the, or they, they're called balls. Mm. They call them balls. And, yes. Uh, in these balls, in, in the movie, these... the ones that we go to are balls, yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Like, and... like a fancy Cinderella-type ball. That's that reference. Yeah. Uh, the Cinderella-type ball, but they also meet it in sort of, like, a, a, a cheeky kind of way as well. They actually, the way they say balls in, in certain scenes is, uh, is meant to be a double entendre. Mm. But uh, Rocky Horror is is a drag movie. It's about uh, you know F- Doctor Frankenfurter, who's a transsexual from uh, a transvestite from transsexual Transylvania, uh, and a lot of the showiness that ended up becoming associated with Rocky Horror, the live shows, were definitely definitely born of the same impulse that brought uh, brought upon these balls in New York. Um, from what I understand about Rocky Horror, it was as we know it today. It's an English film. It opened in England. It did open across the country. But the the cults, from what I understand, and this could be kind of wrong, uh, was that it's a West Coast phenomenon. That it came about 
here in Los Angeles in sort of Southern California theaters and then kind of spread throughout the country. As a midnight show, you mean? That is, as, as a ball unto itself. Um, yeah. And so I'm thinking to Rocky Horror and I'm thinking about the different categories of ball that were on display in there because what Paris is Burning points out is that uh, in these shows they're actually like very they're like different like categories different assignments that the performers can enact mm. in there's uh, yeah not just drag uh, sometimes uh, some of them dress in like military uniforms and they are judged at how well they can quote pass as an actual mm-hmm. uh, officer. Uh, there's a couple. Yeah, of- one of the uh, one of the terms that we uh, one of the terms that is used a lot uh, in drag, and if you ever watch Drag Race, which I have seen, I'm not up to date on it, but I've seen a lot mm-hmm. of it. Uh, one of the terms that's used a lot is realness, uh, which is yeah. uh, which is a compliment, and it is indeed something that I think nowadays has a little bit more to do with uh, uh, sort of a sort of a performance sincerity but to hear paris is burning tell and again this movie came out over 30 years ago and definitions of of words evolve over time but in in this movie it is specifically said that realness refers to your ability as a queer person to pass for not queer so Mm. while some of the drag that we see here is very very much in the uh we will dress as uh, a gender with which we do not identify, mm-hmm. and we will do so in an exaggerated or satirical way. There are some who will uh, also perform it in a very uh, a literal, very uh, realistic way. Uh, and mm. that's just two specific types of drag that one can do. But you're right, there's so many, like, weirdly hyper-specific in some cases. Uh, there's one where uh, it is... Um, they, they do a whole, like, run of it. Like, okay, so it's a winter beach wear was, like, right. one. And then another <laughs> one was uh, uh, butch lesbians doing their first drag show. That was the theme. Like, you and have, to, dra- you have was, to dress as a yeah. butch lesbian as if they were doing their first drag show. Yeah, so it's a very specific look that you are trying to create. And we see... Over the course of this, that how like uh, uh, empowering this is, how much of a community this is, and we also see just how seriously it gets taken, such as uh, when someone is accused in the middle of their of their walk, in the middle of their show, of their jacket being a woman's jacket, and, and like okay, well that yeah. would disqualify <laughs> you, and they're like, oh my god, I can prove it, the buttons are on the correct side, and like it becomes a whole thing, and yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's very it's, it's very strict. And uh, that, that's another thing that reminded me of my experiences with Rocky Horror, because there are so many, uh, like, re- like, little details that the cast uh, chooses to focus on. Their costumes have to be really, really screen-specific, for instance. Uh, if you have, like, the mm-hmm. wrong color corset, then you are required to get a better one. Uh, you have to pay attention to all, a lot of these little details. And yeah, I really yeah. appreciated that this wasn't just like a party. This was a, a hyper-structured thing that became its mm. own scene. And part of it was about uh, creativity. It was about co- trying to assemble something with very exacting rules. Part of it was about uh, uh, just having fun. In fact, one of the uh, walks, I think people just walk around completely in the nude. Uh, that, that was just for fun. You're just walking around naked. 
but more than anything, it is this free environment where people are permitted without, not, not even without judgment, with enthusiasm, are encouraged to explore uh, gender expression. Before words yeah. like uh, transsexual was a word that was a little bit more commonly used back when this film was ma- named. Now we say transgender. Transgender wasn't in uh, common parlance until relatively recently. Uh, but mm. there are a lot of people who are uh, sort of spanning the gender spectrum in this one. Uh, there are some cisgendered gay men who uh, who do this, but there are also some trans men who are doing this, and also some trans women who are doing this, uh, and they explore this vast network of uh, camaraderie that arises from Mm -hmm. this activity and how there's, of course, a lot of resentment and there's a lot of fear. Uh, There's a lot of desperation underlining a lot of this because a lot of these people were kicked out of their homes for being queer. That's actually addressed very directly. Mm -hmm. Um, The the characters that I found myself looking at the most are these two 13-year-olds they find who are living on the street because they were just recently kicked out of their homes. And they're they're trying to be as positive as possible, but you can see that there's actually a lot of sadness to their lives. They didn't want to be kicked out, for God's sake. Uh, yeah. And so uh, the, the movie kind of expands from these balls out into the queer community in this neighborhood in New York at the time and what it was like to deal with extreme poverty, what it was like to deal with homophobia, uh, talking about AIDS at a, a time when the crisis was still in full swing. Uh, and... And of course, some of the violence that some of these people suffer. And in, fa- in fact, one of the people interviewed, um, a person named Venus Extravaganza, uh, mm-hmm. was found murdered during the course of the movie. And yeah, and they're and they're like a main character. They're one of the people we follow the most mm. throughout the movie. And it's just shocking that just all of a sudden they're not with us anymore. Yeah, and and you hear some of the details, and it's just and it, tragic and terrifying. And it's it's heartrending how matter of factly Venus's friends have to talk about them because this is something mm-hmm. that kind of happens a lot in this community uh, just because of the, the hate and the fear and the poverty that they're constantly dealing with. So there's a lot of serious issues that it's dealing with, but it always comes mm-hmm. back to the balls themselves, and the balls are actually presented well, as being back- very fun and very open. Well, they're not just fun and they're and, and they're open. They're community, and this is something yeah. that I think cannot be underlined enough uh, when it comes to Paris's burning, which is as as frank a discussion we can have about all of the negativity. Uh, these are people who, and I mean specifically the people we meet in the movie, they have found a community, and indeed within their community there are sub communities, uh, various different uh, drag performers are part of uh, various houses, which honestly, like, all sound like... And I, watching this movie, this is something I did not expect. Watching this movie, I realize now where Step Up 3D came from. Well, the, because, the whole idea of a, of a dance crew is, is kind of comes out of this, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Well, it's, it, there's that, but even more specific ways. So if you, if you know Whitney and I, you know we love the Step Up movies, and in particular Step Up 3D, which is the one that takes place in New York City, which is about a group of outcasts who were kicked out of their home for, quote, dancing. Uh, and uh, they, uh, at the beginning of the movie, we get a series of interviews with all of them, 
in a very similar way to what we see in Paris is Burning. We find out that various dance crews are uh, now belong to a series of houses, very specifically like the kind of houses that we have mm. in Paris is Burning. People who all uh, dress up thematically. Uh, there's, a, there's a house in Paris is Burning called the House of Ninja. And in Step Up 3D, there is the House of Samurai. Uh, I don't think this is a coincidence. I think they were very specifically name-checking it. And just to see that, like, surprise... Because like, that's one of my favorite movies, and all of a sudden I'm watching this thing, I'm like, I didn't fully understand one of my favorite movies until just now. <laughs> so, but what, but what Paris is Burning has, and which is, which is why I think films like that would want to emulate it, is this absolute sense of family and community that comes out of it. Every house has a house mother. And this is one particular person, one particular drag performer, who, you know, informally, mm. uh, is responsible for their entire crew. And they talk about how these are people, many of whom have been rejected from their family unit. They are looking for not just family, they are looking for matriarchs or patriarchs. They're looking for people to look to for some kind of uh, familial uh, uh, acceptance and guidance. Mm. And this is a role they, they are filling because this is a film very much about found family. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something you can understand whether or not you are actively part of the queer community. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that is one of the many, many, many things about this movie that is incredibly potent and it, it, it just absolutely vibrant. Yeah, yeah. The, the community and also... Um the de the defiance involved I, that's something I, I kind of was was keying into I like I love that everybody was sort of being drawn together to what is essentially mock the cishet world I, I felt yeah. like a lot of the it, it was a, a lot of these performances were out and out satire and indeed if you look to drag shows today you look at you know a, a, a drag queen and they're not trying they're not trying to invent makeup or wigs to the way a woman would look. They're sort of exaggerating it. It's sort of like this cartoony version well, that, of... Uh, that, again, there are many different forms of drag, and well, some yeah. people are indeed attempting for, quote, realness. But mm. uh, the, the, is the, very, the more common version that we see uh, is indeed a more exaggerated version. And yes, it is. It is satirical about the... Well, let's be honest here. The, the cishet world, which controls... Mm. A lot of not just the culture, but the 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 systems in which we live. Yeah. The uh, so breaking that down and satirizing that is incredibly powerful. Yeah, it, I, I was really struck by that. You know, we're going to these these drag balls, and there's uh, people wearing these really wild gowns, and people are uh, spend you know hours on their makeup, and then there are just some people in military uniforms, and I, it took me a second to really see that. Wait a minute, this is. This is camp. They're they're trying to mock, mm -hmm. like the the exactitude of militariness of being militant, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. When you sort of expand, and it's that, also I, it's also worth remembering that this is this comes from a time when gays were not openly allowed in the military. That's right. That's right. And uh, so to what they're queer, doing to be is, queer and in the military was was verboten. So that is a very potent statement to dress in yeah. military garb. So it, what they're doing is they're making a. Uh, these balls are like actual legit fashion shows, but at the same time, they're kind of a satire of this 
middle American notion of judging a woman by her looks and putting a... Because f- beauty pageants are just a really horrendous institution. Uh, they're incredibly sexist. Yeah. They always have been. Mm-hmm. And that they persist is they, incredibly frustrating. Uh, they, they enforce a, a, on, on a weird level uh, a very strict and very specific standard of beauty, mm-hmm. uh, which is bad even just in the abstract but in practice it's just un- unwholesome yeah. like it's just it's it's really creepy and it's really weird that we 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 live in a world where there are people who are totally okay with these kinds of beauty pageants and yet are critiquing and indeed wildly misinterpreting and demonizing drag shows which are actually about individual expression in a much more potent way mm. and actually are works of complex art well, I, I think the issue is what a drag show is satirizing is the person who is objecting to it. Uh, I don't want mm. a beauty pageant to be mocked, uh, which is, mm. I think, kind of at its heart what a, uh, what a drag show, what these balls were all about. They're looking at the uh, st- uh, cishet world, uh, cishet white world, in fact, and sending it up, trying to have a, a beauty pageant of their own where they get to sort of declare their own standards of beauty and how liberating that mm. is, not just in finding their own beauty, but also in a great way mm. to raise a very defiant middle finger to this system that is uh, callously rejecting them. Uh, and there's something you, you said just there that I think is vitally important as we talk about how a lot of the works of, of drag are works of uh, uh, satire and of subversive mm. uh, artistic expression uh, is that even though there is a, 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 there is sometimes an attempt again to uh, uh, what am I, what's what I'm looking for to uh, take mm. on the appearance of uh, accurate uh, cishet presentation mm. uh, there is also again as you said these are still beauty pageants. They're just not judged on the same level. Everyone here is allowed to feel uh, beautiful and indeed encouraged to hmm. uh, in ways that in, in a lot of the mainstream culture would not be permitted or would not be accepted or would be uh, mocked or, or worse. Uh, and uh, we the, the absolute... Uh, wide range of people and body types and just to see all of them uh, celebrated and appreciated and uh, there's a great speech someone has where they're talking about how like because again these these shows are judged and sometimes very harshly but they do talk about how everyone who goes up there is doing something brave Mm -hmm. and everyone who goes up there gets applause yeah, yeah. Everyone it deserves applause. You, you, even if you read them to filth afterwards, they they put themselves out there, and that deserves respect and appreciation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that is very significantly in the film yeah. because there's also a significant amount of the film that is about reading people, which is a term I actually didn't know until I saw RuPaul's Drag Race. But you know, it comes from this culture, uh, which is basically just an elaborate system of. Uh, verbally exploiting and pummeling people for perceived faults. Uh, some of which stems from, as, as people in the as people in the movie explain, some of which stems from uh, being mocked by cishet people mm-hmm. for being queer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, when you're doing it with another person who is queer, uh, you know, when your opponent isn't, you know, 
when you're when, when a cishet person is mocking you for being queer, all they can really say is you're queer. Yeah. And so you have so much more material, but when you're both queer, <laughs> okay, well we can't we can't use that. So it gets more and more specific, yeah. and we that's when we start getting into uh, more competitive forms of drag that we see in Paris is burning, and that evolves into more physical expressions of competitiveness, which devol- which sorry, evolves very directly into the creation of one of the biggest dance crazes of the late eighties, early nineties, and that's the Vogue. Yeah, voguing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I, yeah, which was popularized in the mainstream by Madonna, who saw it happening in this community and decided to bring it into the mainstream. Oh, you mean, uh, and, you mean uh, she but, uh, she uh, maybe uh, co-opted it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, yeah. Let's just be fair. No, um, d- yeah, she co-opted it, but she did invite. Like, she, I don't think she ever claimed she. No, no. Actually, fair. Madonna yeah. herself is queer, and she you know had had yeah. A, a queer scene that she was a big part of. So no, she, she was no poser. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, maybe a little, but like, I, I, I it's not quite the same, uh, Yeah. but in any case, it, Madonna, anytime something that is on the fringe or the counterculture becomes mainstream, it usually is introduced to the mainstream by someone with a lot less to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, than the people in the counterculture who are doing it on the fringe. So Madonna helped popularize that, but to see it, done for real and if you're not familiar with the vogue uh, i mean I, I this is audio i can't do it. i couldn't do it even if i could um but it is a uh, it is a dance uh uh is a dance style that uh is basically created through a series of specific poses it's not constant yeah. fluid motion it is actually stopping to pose in sometimes very inorganic ways yeah. that are very striking and then moving into another pose in a fluid way and then holding it for a moment, and it is really quite impressive to see, especially some of the people here who invented it. Yeah, it, it was uh, just how versatile it can it, be. Voguing came from model poses, and they say as much in this documentary. But uh, what I I saw a lot of uh, in because it, they're moving in such a way, it actually reminded me a lot of the choreography of Bob Fosse. Just that kind of very angular. Oh yeah. Uh, pose to pose mm-hmm. kind of dance, and uh, I, I think it's pretty cool that. Um, at near the end of the movie, they uh, put some footage from a news report on voguing and on balls, uh, and they actually interview a couple celebrities, including Gwen Verdon. She's there as well. Yeah. Who mm. thinks it's amazing? They're very supportive mm. of it, and that's very cool. Mm. Um, so that's that's just that's just neat. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of people in Paris is Burning who had. Uh, very odd stories that are go beyond the film. Um, we mentioned in particular the tragedy of Venus Extravaganza, who is just an absolutely fascinating person, mm-hmm. and they seem so so. Uh, uh, they they honest, they they seem primed for stardom. They seem primed for stardom. Mm-hmm. They've got every al- al- element of star quality you could want in someone who wants the world and could very easily get it. And then they were horrifically murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another member of the, of the uh, documentary uh, cast, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make sure I get their name right. Cause I, I would, I would hate to do it uh, wrong. Uh, and it is Dorian Corey. Oh, yeah, Dor- Dorian Corey. I, I, Very interesting person. I, I love Dor. Well, Dorian Corey is a little bit older than some of the other performers, yeah. and has uh, 
s- sort of reached like this this elder statesperson phase uh, where uh, uh, there's a great quote from Dorian Corey where uh, 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 they say, uh, as you get older, you aim lower uh, in terms of like, they're talking about uh, like, wh- what do you want to be? Do you want to look forward to like stardom and actual fame? Do you think these balls can actually... Mm bring you into sort of like mainstream fame and Dorian Corey says, well, I, I wanted to, but I'm a little older now and you aim lower. If you make a little bit of a mark and you have fun doing it, you're okay. Which is like a very, as somebody in their mid forties, it's like, I kind of, I kind of heard that a little bit. When, yeah, when you're in your twenties, yeah. there's no it, time. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're desperate to fill the time. And when you're a little bit older, you can kind of slow down and take your time a little bit more. And listen, they're they're fantastically interesting, and they say some of the most potent things in this documentary. Uh, and when they uh, died, mm-hmm. uh, just recently, they died too, of AIDS yeah. complications. And, uh, no, 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 that was not. It was in 1993. Oh, God. Um, uh, I think I think it was someone else. Um, Dorian Corey one of died in 1993. One of the stars of this film, like only yeah. died like kind of recently. Yeah, it wasn't Dorian Corey, um, but when Dorian Corey died. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found the preserved dead body of someone who had been murdered in their in in, in their stuff, yeah, um... like amongst their belongings, uh, and that's really weird. And if you've watched the show Pose, mm. which I actually haven't seen, I hear it's really good. Uh, Jenny Livingston, who directed this film, uh, was involved as the producer on it, and it's very much inspired by this exact scene and many of the people in this movie. Uh, there is a character who. I think accidentally kills someone and decides to like just keep them in like their in their apartment. <laughs> uh and apparently this is this is where that story came from. Wow. Uh no one knows the full details of it, but apparently they'd been in there for decades. Oof. Really weird. <laughs> really, really weird story. <laughs> um Holy crap. So uh I, this is one of those really interesting documentaries where the it, it's a snapshot of a specific time mm-hmm. and a specific uh, uh, place, but we're capturing images of people who had lives and legends and artistic influences that expand way beyond mm-hmm. this movie. This is just, if you were there at the New York drag scene in like 1988 or 87 or whenever this film was being produced, they just happened to be there, but then they spread out and they had so much more so many other adventures, some mm. really sad and some very inspiring. Well, some had adventures, uh, but something that might that struck me that might strike you uh, was how some of them really had very uh, modest dreams and how there were a lot, a lot mm. of these uh, young trans women who uh, talked about their dream of just sort of like relatively dull suburban domestic existence. They just, uh, they, they yeah. talked about, I just want to get married in a white dress to a, a kind, boring man and live in a small home in the suburbs. And that's what they were really, really like latching on to. They were, they had fallen into this scene and they had found sort of a community, but you could see that even though they're kind of mocking this world that had rejected them, they really longed to go into it in a way that their gender expression would eventually allow and you know yeah. here in 2020 we're we're still I, you know 30 years later we're still not there uh i guess i guess this was 1990 so i yeah when well, the movie yeah. came out but it had been produced for a while yeah 
So yeah, uh, yeah, the the yeah. Well, you're, so you're talking about sort of uh, latching onto sort of having these big grand adventures, but I think what this film is really good is actually giving us various perspectives. It wasn't just people who are out looking for adventures or looking for fame or trying to ascend into this like higher realm of, of, you know, being ad- admired. It was also about these people who just really longed for what they even described as kind of a boring life and how th- yeah. that they were denied something so simple gives it uh, this film a little bit of a tragic undercurrent as well. Yeah, well, and it's interesting to see this film. You mentioned uh, uh, some of the trans women in the in the movie are they they speak about how they actually some of them have surgery mm-hmm. and actually are able to transition uh, uh, completely. And we interview a few uh, a few of the performers, uh, not all of whom are, are, are trans. Mm-hmm. But some of them are have thought about it, and some of them have said like, you know, I, I've thought about it, but you know, it, it seemed like too too heavy a transition, and it might not be easier to be a woman in the, in society. And you can just tell that there is a lot of internalized, you know, doubt and maybe even transphobia. And then there's this one performer, and I forget their name, but they're interviewed on a beach, and they talk about how you know they transitioned and they are a woman. And of course they were before, but you know, physically they are mm-hmm. a woman. And the absolute sigh of absolute liberation when they just get to talk about how, and I feel like me and I am exactly who I want to be and I feel beautiful. And then they're just running on the beach and they just feel alive and free. And it's just really glorious mm-hmm. to watch. It's, I, I don't know if I have ever felt that <laughs> that that level of joy in my life, mm-hmm. and it's just it just feels it, it's it's absolutely a, a riveting and it's astounding that there is a film like Paris is Burning out there, and there is still so much absolute willful ignorance about trans people and the drag movement. Uh, drag mm-hmm. and trans people have been demonized significantly in the media as we are recording this very recently there have been a lot of legislation trying to stop even just drag shows as though drag itself was inherently sexualized and there's almost nothing in this whole documentary that is attempting to run the gamut of the drag experience and the drag art and the drag art form and granted mm-hmm. it's older but still it's extensive yeah uh Almost none of the performance, almost none of the show is sexual in nature. It is about gender identity, but it is not about sex. Yeah, it's not about... At least not... Yeah. yeah, There's no, like... Yeah, there's no flirting or, uh, like, hooking up going on. At least not that's covered by the documentary. Maybe it was. Uh, They do talk... Not in a way that seems relevant to the actual performance. I'm sure people are, like, meeting each other. But, like, it's not... That's not what the performance is about. Mm. And that's really important because <laughs> it's a, a lot of the controversy or the so-called controversy over this is based on just a simple fundamental misunderstanding of the text mm-hmm. that is obviously willful, intentional, and frankly hateful ignorance. And again, you watch a documentary like this and you hear all of the absolute stupid, cruel uh, uh, propaganda that is being put out by people who just 
Well, it's it's it makes you want to weep, but it, but it, you you see all the joy here as well, and you see how many people are actually like finding absolute like uh, uh, freedom and uh, artistic uh, liberation through this. And how can you possibly be mad? Uh, yeah. There's nothing negative about it. It's great. It's, it's great. Look, you just you use the word ignorance. These are you know a lot of the the accusations and the the the, the pillorying uh, pillorying and the the. Uh, just the, the attacks that come from uh, people who want to censor uh, drag and sexuality don't don't understand it. They don't want to learn about it because that's work. A, a lot of uh, a lot of the ethos they're coming from is if it's too hard, then you need to ignore it. Everything should be easy, including or hate it, uh, hate hate it, ignore it, reject it outright because it's too much work to think about it, to to learn, to grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes too much of my time and effort, so I'll just reject reject it and reject it all. So, uh, it, it it's infuriating, but at the same time, it's kind of I, I don't know. Um, Pathetic. It's just it's pathetic because it clearly, yeah. very clearly, is based on people who are just not even bothering to learn anything. Yeah, and yet they have they wield and way too much power, which again is a lot of what as we see in Paris is Burning, uh, drag exists to do. It exists to uh, uh, subvert our ideas of power and heteronormative culture and. I'm so exceptionally glad that I saw this documentary. I hope other people who listen to uh, uh, Critically Reclaimed and our other podcasts, because uh, we knew this one was coming, we mentioned it in our Patreon page. I hope you take an opportunity to check it out. It's a, it's a, a rather short documentary. It's less than an hour and a half, but it is dense and it feels absolutely like it's covering the material in a rich way. Uh, you meet a lot of different people in the community. It's a very exciting snapshot of a very particular moment uh, when the culture was breaking out. Mm. Uh, and it feels like when you see this, you realize like how... <sighs> it, it feels like a missing piece of the puzzle. And all of a sudden you understand mm. why there was a massive shift in a lot of popular culture in the late 80s and the 90s and even even affecting mm. in a very significant way the mainstream yeah yeah uh and it's fucking great i'm so glad i saw this damn movie <laughs> yeah i i had already I'm just so sort of connected yeah. it i had connected it through like i said earlier I, I had connected it through my experience with the rocky horror picture show but uh yeah. The Rocky Horror Picture Show only goes back so far, and this it actually it actually connected to a much larger community that I I didn't sort of put together the origins of until I saw this film. I, I feel I feel better that I have seen this. Um, I know that when yeah. this movie came out, um, I, it was it it itself was also pilloried by some people on the ex, like homophobes on the extreme right. Because it was getting mm-hmm. funding from the National Endowment of the Arts, that used to be a thing. Arts used to get federal funding, like a lot of it. It was really cool. Uh, that kind of doesn't happen mm-hmm. so much anymore. Like it's still out there, but uh, it was because it's of, not the force it used to be. Yeah. No, uh, but the NEA um, got into some hot water because I'm not sure if you've ever seen Robert Maplethorpe photographs. Um, but Robert Maplethorpe was a queer photographer who took incredibly uh, sexual images, uh, you know, not just nudes, but uh, men engaged in sexual activity. Uh, but, you know, very artful, uh, you know, 
very textured, uh, lent a lot of like mm. viscerality to you know human skin. Like you could actually feel what it would ta- uh, in your hand. Like what it would ta- feel like to grab that. Uh, and because it was so aggressively queer and aggressively sexual, and it was partially funded by the government. A lot of Republican senators all of a sudden were up in arms. We can't have the government funding this smut. It's like, okay, don't show it to kids, but it is art. Uh, and this was yeah, kind that's... of fallout from a lot of that, uh, a lot of the anger over Robert Maplethorpe and, and other artists as well. It wasn't just Robert Maplethorpe. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, this film was brought up in a few conversations about how government arts funding was going to the wrong place. And I don't see... And you can tell that the people who complain about this movie haven't seen this movie. Because to your point, William, it's not about fucking. It's not about having sex. It's about this community. It's actually really kind of beautiful. Uh, I I will defend Robert Maplethorpe. Uh, Some people might not like his work, but I, I... think it is i'm actually unfamiliar with his work i can't say one way or another uh well you know i'd say look up his fic uh his pictures just don't do it at work uh (laughs) because they they really are (laughs) aggressively sexual um but yeah this was a film that was actually meant to uh, like talk to people and show a lot of humanity and reality it is a documentary film and that it was just sort of dismissed as queer smut is pretty gross uh, mm. it, well uh, yeah again I can't say yeah um it, got, uh, it was really yeah. highly acclaimed when it came out but it didn't get any like Oscar nominations and I seem yeah. to vaguely remember a scandal that I couldn't tell you any details about because I, I was a kid when it came out but I remember like people talking about, oh Paris is burning didn't get a do- nomination it's like what's that I, I didn't know until now <sighs> Yeah, the documentary and and the International Cinema uh, Academy Awards have long been very difficult to decipher. Oftentimes, many of the best and most celebrated documentaries or international films of any given year don't even make a short list because those are often uh, selected by committees rather than uh, the larger voting block because there are so many and it's very difficult to keep track of them all unless it is specifically your job to do so. Uh, but then they end up having the weirdest damn taste sometimes. <laughs> uh, but in any case, uh, Paris is Burning, again, Whitney and I, uh, Whitney is bisexual, mm. I am myself am gray sexual, but neither of us are drag performers no. and neither of us are part of this particular scene. So while we respect and appreciate and feel absolutely uh, warmed over, like just absolutely aglow, watching this movie this is not our field of expertise and if anyone listening i mentioned it at the top just so you knew it we we weren't trying to speak out of school um if anyone listening is part of the drag community or has very specific uh uh, information they can share or want to share uh about anything that's in paris is burning in particular again Mm -hmm. we highly encourage you to watch it it's available on the criterion collection i think it might be on hbo max as well uh a lot of those uh, double check uh, that a lot of the Criterion films also like sort of cross pollinate yeah. with HBO Max, so the, if, there's a lot of overlap, but it's not a guarantee. So no, double no. check before you uh, before you, you you assume it is. Uh, but uh, or or if you just want to talk about anything we discussed in general, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. 
we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter. Send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And uh, on the next episode of Critically Reclaimed, we're going back to one of our favorite streaming services. It's Shudder, a <laughs> horror-themed uh, streaming service with a lot of really, really great material. And uh, we thought we'd keep the theme going. Uh, they also have a great queer section uh, for Pride Month and beyond. Uh, and so the options uh, are all coming from that particular section. And the options are thus. Uh Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, which I believe was an early 80s slasher film. I don't know a lot about a lot of these. Uh, Mary, Mary, Bloody Mary, also a 70s, 80s slasher. Uh, Knife Plus Heart is a relatively recent uh, giallo throwback, mm -hmm. focusing on the queerness of the I genre. Think that's, uh, and then um, lastly... 19, or, or, hmm. I think it's like 2017, it's just a few years old. Yeah, relatively recent, but it, I, I I missed it, and it got a lot of buzz. So, And then lastly, uh, the film Tammy and the T-Rex, starring Paul Walker uh, as a teenager whose brain is implanted in the body of an animatronic T-Rex and tries to reunite uh, with his girlfriend, Denise Richards. Uh, that's a real film. <laughs> it's a, real it's film. a rather notorious one, and uh, one of us hasn't seen it, so... Uh... I, I want you to look over to all of your one. options uh, when you, when you're voting in this poll. Yeah, don't listeners. just don't just go for the one with the with the weirdest yeah, log line. Really think it's, it out. It's weird. Look, it's, look at all four. You to, follow yeah. your heart. Uh, if if it really yeah. seems like it's going to be uh, the weird one, then go ahead and vote your heart. But of don't course. don't just dive dive for it because we understand it's really tempting. Yeah, don't. Th think it out. Like it's, it's, we put all four on here for a reason because I think any one of them would make for a great episode of Critically Reclaimed. Anyway, uh, you can vote over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Even $1 a month, you get to vote for future episodes of Critically Reclaimed. Uh, but if you're at the uh, higher tiers, we also have a lot of other exclusive shows, including Only the Best, where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order. We also do trivia nights, hangouts, commentary tracks. Uh, there's a lot available over at our Patreon. Thank you to every one of our patrons for selecting Paris is Burning. You, you great taste. Yeah, great oh, yes. tastes. Thank Absolutely. you so much for this. Uh, and, of course, thank you for keeping this show and all of our other shows here at the Critically Acclaimed Network afloat. Uh, if you can't afford to be a patron, we totally get it. But if you want to help the show, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you find the show. It really helps other people find the program and gives us an opportunity to grow, which we would very much love to do. Um, so I guess that's about it. You can find us on Twitter at Critically... Sorry, they don't... It was too long for Twitter, so we had to put at critic acclaim. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Yes, he is. And uh, un until next time, this was the podcast you listened to. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>